and welcome to Cathode Ray Mission. We are back and we are kind of introducing our Halloween theme. Uh, spooky October. Spooky, spooky October movies. Uh, and so uh, this one and I think the one we'll be showing, uh, reviewing next week, I'll let Randy pick both of these. Uh, this is a movie um, that I had never seen before. And so after watching it, I was really happy that Randy uh, picked it. Uh, it is Stakeland. Yes. Uh, you didn't say who you were. Oh, I'm Will Scoville in Berkeley, California. <laughs> With me, as always, is Randy Heyer in Oklahoma City. Man, okay, we, this is the third one we've done today, so. It's all good, man. Uh, uh, so, yeah, Stakeland is the name of the movie, uh, 2010. Uh, uh, Jim Nickel is the director, and I looked him up, and there's a few other movies that I recognize the cover art for, but I've never seen. Um, but I want to say after this movie, I will definitely be checking out more of his stuff because Stakeland is a vampire zombie post-apocalyptic Mad Max style movie done incredibly cheap and is incredibly effective. Um, I was really surprised by this movie. Um, and I had I was unaware of it. Here it is, ten years old, and I had never heard of it before. Uh, so, Randy, why don't you tell me a little bit about what you know about this movie and how you came upon it and what your kind of mini review of it is? Well, well, I tell you what, that makes me extremely happy to hear you say that you enjoyed this movie. I am a horror fan. And I watch a lot of horror movies. This movie, I tell you what, I held it off. There's some of these movies that are like supposed to be like a Mad Max or like a zombie. I mean, because that's another thing about this movie. It'll infuriate you if you're a stickler for like zombies or vampire. Like they call them vampires and stuff. It's more like a zombie movie, but it's sort of like it's a, tr a real mid-ground between mm -hmm. zombie and vampire. And what it's done to the 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 world and the way that people live is more akin to um, a zombie movie, you know, mm -hmm. or something. But anyway, movies like this, I tend to like. There's just we've reached we reached a critical mass a couple of years ago. And this came out in 2010, so at that time, there's too many movies like this: Wormwood, mm -hmm. The Battery. Uh, I'm naming some better ones, but there's just there's shitloads of movies like The Road, uh, Book of Eli. There's just too many movies like this. So I held off for a little while. But then I saw a little movie called Cold in July. Have you seen that, Will? I have not seen that one. It's a Joe R. Lansdale um, adaptation. I didn't know about him at all either. And then Jim Mickle and Nick Demichi who plays uh, Mr. in this movie and co-wrote this movie with Jim Mickle. Um, that's like their show they did for like FX or something. Apparently it was good. I've not seen it at all. But uh, Cold in July is just like a super good movie. I think maybe we should do it. I don't want to get too into it. I'm not going to like reveal the twist of anything because if you haven't seen it, it has like some great, it's kind of an, an, a good, super dark unpredictable texas noir movie and it's it's very 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 good it has michael c hall in it sam shepherd don johnson uh 
and uh, Nick Dimitri has a small role in it. It's, it's a terrific movie. But then also Nick Dimitri is in this other movie called Late Phases. And it's, I believe, Late Phases is the same director uh, as the, who made Here Comes the Devil. He's this uh, Mexican director. Here Comes the Devil is a terrific uh, kind of understated, low-budget horror movie that came out, I don't know, you know, in the last decade that I highly recommend. But so I was like, he was on my radar, and I watched Late Phases, and that is also an extremely good movie with Nick Dimitri playing about 20 years older than how he actually is, a blind war veteran living in a retirement home that happens to be overrun by werewolves. But he's like a, a badass and he takes care mm -hmm. of it. It's like that's like also an incredible movie. So I went back and was like, Stakeland, I have to watch it. And then as it turns out, Stakeland is a masterclass, excellent movie too. Mm -hmm. So that's how I still and I've since shown it to anyone who will watch it, you know. Yeah. I really I wanted to get something good, and yeah, when I thought of it, I was like, this is perfect. This is exactly what I want to be showing. So, like, with this, I, again, I never heard of it, and with the movies that you picked, you had picked one movie and then swapped it out for another movie, and I had misread your text and had watched both of those movies, but not Stakeland. <sighs> and so I had just happened to text you last night about one of the movies that we dropped and you said, yeah, but we're not watching that one. I'm like, what? And so I read the text again and I'm like, okay, well, I got to watch it. So I watched this for the first time the night before we're recording this episode. And I did not know what to expect based on the title, based on the artwork. It looks like something I would hard pass on. Yes. Um, Me too. But I... So the, I think that this movie does a couple things in reading a little bit a, a little bit about it is that they originally developed it as a web series. So they're going to have this be like these shorter episodes where, you know, every time an episode would come out, it kind of uh, follows these two people on, you know, the next leg of their journey. And maybe they have someone with them from the last episode, maybe not, but then they interact with a new set of people or new circumstance. Mm -hmm. So that is very much reflected in this movie, which it eventually became, and the movie becomes very episodic. And so the, the first thing that it does is it dispenses with in what in normal movies would be about a half hour of exposition, where everybody came from, what it was like before the outbreak, how the outbreak happened. And we're able to just skip over all of that and with a few short lines of dialogue, set up who these people were, where they came from, and what they're doing now, and get right into the story. And so it just starts immediately, and it's immediately interesting. The world is interesting. Um, it's a neat take on the zombie thing, the fact that they can travel pretty easily during the day. Mm -hmm. um, and then you mentioned The Road, which I both read and saw the movie, mm -hmm. and I enjoy that a lot, and this takes a lot of those elements, especially of the idea of um, how people and the ideologies of people are kind of cloaking themselves in when society breaks down. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, so there's there's definitely some, like, 
right-wing stuff going on. And uh, I love all that kind of end of the yeah. world, like society breaking down and reforming in this horrible ways and stuff like that. Like, yeah. And this movie is chock has that shit in spades, I think. Yeah. You know? And so something that worked for well for me in the road was that you never got to fully understand what happened. Um, and you're just having to deal with whatever happened and the characters that are put into that situation without any long backstory of what was the cause of the major apocalypse or whatever. Yeah. And so much of that backstory is like left off of this one as well. And again, it's just, it gives you as much information as you need to get the story going. Yeah. And then the fact that it's episodic, it feels like, like a season of television almost. Mm. And there's enough changes in scenery and characters to really keep the story moving. Um, no, I really, I really enjoyed this quite a bit, um, and I understand there's a sequel. Have you seen the sequel? Yeah, and the sequel, I'm happy to report, is pretty good. It, it? Yes. Okay. It's it's not directed by Jim Mickle, but it's still written by him and Nick Demichi, yeah. and he, Nick Demichi's back. The kid is back. They pick up, like, logically how they should from this movie. Hmm. And continue the story in a satisfying way. It's it is good. Yeah. Check that out. <laughs> I want another one. I actually <laughs> demand Stay Clan Three or anything from from the yeah. the team the writing, directing, star acting team. They're all just high quality stuff, you know. Now I wanna I wanna compare this movie to another movie that came out roughly the same time. Yeah. With a very similar title called oh. Zombieland. Yeah. Um, Fucking which, similar shit. Yeah, which Zombieland is, by all means, I, I rewatched that recently, and I just can't. Um, <laughs> I don't bad. like that movie. I don't like it, no. It's too, um, like, <laughs> you think you know movies? <laughs> Think again. You know, yeah, it's like it, that style of, like, Wait, but hold up. And there's, I, like, freeze frames and stuff like that. I mean, that, that's that's okay, but, like, because they were going for a weird-ass comedy, and I'm, like, I'm fine with that, but it's just I hate Jesse Eisenberg's character, and I hate this. I hate that, like, he's, he was, that's at a time when he was playing that type of character, and I really hate that type of character. Um, it's, like, a, char- a type of character that... Uh, Michael Sarah was going towards, and then he kind of moved away from it. And I think Eisenberg has too. But it was around the time that I think like Social Network came out. Yeah. And he was just like kind of this nerdy guy. Yeah. Uh, all the time, and I think he's trying to get away from that. But like, I don't know. That that's really it's it's his character that really turns me off in that movie. Woody Harrelson is great in that movie. Yeah, um, I I don't know, man. That. That movie has sort of a a dumb. It's it is. I hate. I do get really tired of movies that are like super flashy and use a lot of like quirky editing, and they're like they're very self aware. The movie is like speaking to me, stopping, mm-hmm. starting, being very clever, you know. But like, it's like that guy went on to make Gangster Squad. He assembled this incredible, I don't know, 
That movie still baffles me. People don't remember that movie. But it has, like, Sean Penn, Ryan Gosling, and, like, right after, like, Drive, you know? I mean, it's, like, it's just, like, an insane cast for such a throwaway piece-of-shit movie that was basically already made with Mulholland Falls, and I think fucking Nick Nolte is in both movies. Anyway, (laughs) that's neither here nor there, but Zombieland, it fucking sucks, dude, and people never mention this, but... Phantasm is a forefather for this kind of thing where, like, a dude who is a surrogate father to a younger guy travel around in a car with shotguns and stuff, and it's, like, post-apocalyptic weirdness and shit. I love the Phantasm movies. That's interesting you bring that up because the director of uh, Phantasm went on to direct another movie called uh, Bubba Hotep, Mm -hmm. uh, which was... uh, either adapted or straight-up written by Joe Lansdale. Uh, so that's how I discovered Joe Lansdale. Oh, so, hell uh, yeah, dude. Nice yeah. nice connection. I yeah. I have no doubt that Jim Mickle and Nick DiMici are, were in some ways inspired by Phantasm, yeah. at least a little bit, you know. that uh, The Phantasm series is another one that is a bit of a, a blank spot for me, but... You, before we started, uh, before we kind of got together and started doing this podcast, yes, you were, you were doing a lot of like Instagram stories and you were doing a lot about movies and horror movies, especially. And the Phantasm series is one that you kept talking about. Yes. So I have gone back and I watched the first Phantasm movie. Yeah. And I need to watch it a few more times before I kind of fully get it, but I like what it was doing. Yeah. Um, and so it, it. And so, okay, I want to get into, we'll probably talk about this in the, in the follow-up episode for this one as well, but one of the movies we did not watch um, that I ended up watching anyway was Friday the 13th, the final chapter. That's part four. Yes. Oh, um, you want to get into this right now? Yeah let's, yeah, let's get into this very briefly. Do a little mini episode on Friday the 13th, part yeah, four. Just simply because we watched it. And, and it, I'm going to bring this around to like this movie as well. All right, very good. But um, it is, it is to me, very um, by the book, low effort um, slasher picture. I think it just it kind of it sets everyone up. It does a very it, it tries to do the thing with the introduction of uh, uh, Corey Feldman's character as a, as a through line, uh, but it doesn't do much with him in that movie. Um, and then other than that, it's just like Jason's back and he's, he's killing All right. Well, I couldn't disagree more. And <laughs> I didn't coin this. I can't take credit for this. This is uh, Vern said this. But slasher movies are like the blues where it's like there's the standards and you play the standards, but you put your own spin on it. And also this like slashers were like they weren't new. There's a lot of them. But. This is sort of like, in my opinion, maybe the masterpiece, the perfect beast of this. Like, if like Halloween is like where it is born in America, because I mean, Giallo and slasher, it's like it's like the same goddamn thing, you know. But we claim it, America. So we claim it as like Halloween began it. So I'll just mm-hmm. for the sake of what I'm saying right now, um, I think. Friday the 13th is my favorite. Part one is my favorite. And I actually think it's 
uh, I like it more than Halloween, although I think Halloween is also like a perfect beast, you know. Uh, but Friday 13th Part 4, it's just... I just feel like it's the crystallization of like all of the powers of what you can do with the slasher. The geography is extremely well laid out. You know, the two houses, each character, it's a pretty big cast. And for this kind of movie, they do give some of the st- shit is corny, but they give character, they give character moments to every character in the movie. Mm. Tom Savini's back. It's his masterpiece. It's uh, Tom Savini's some of his best work. I mean, the Prowler, it, some people, the Prowler just is not a good movie. It's the same director though. But like, um, so this is sort of a reteaming of them doing something on a bigger level. It's Joseph Zito. I, Chris McGlover's in it. I Jason Ted. It's the best. Ted, it's the best. Ted White is Jason. It's the best Jason, in my opinion. There's the part where he jumps to the window, grabs Corey Feldman. The sister immediately starts hitting him with the hammer, which fucking rocks. I love the sister in this movie. And then Jason disappears, and then bursts through the door like the fucking like Kool Aid Man, like straight up, <laughs> just like the door explodes, and he's standing there. And then there's the whole chase up the stairs, back down the stairs, around, back to the house, down. I mean, it has the part where he grabs the girl out of the window, throws her in the car, the glass explodes in slow motion. It's so much to love. It's a perfect, it's a perfect slasher movie. It's the best slasher movie. Uh, see, I don't, it just, it felt, and maybe this is me coming from a point where I've seen the, the genre do a much better job at it. And for me, the Friday the 13th series, my favorite is part two, uh, because this is before, this is before kind of the 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 idea of like okay, Freddy has the glove and the hat, Michael Myers has the mask. We don't know what Jason is yet, and you know because in the first one it, he doesn't even exist; it's his mother. Second one, he actually lived through it, but he's still just like a mentally disabled redneck, you know who has grown up in secret and he's got a bag over his head. So it just, it becomes this like, like crazy hillbilly movie, which is again, he's a slasher. He's a human being. Um, and there's nothing supernatural about it necessarily. Hmm. And it's not until you get into like part three and, and on where he's a monster now. And so he's canonically alive until this movie he dies. He does canonically it's, it's, it's die. Part four. Yeah, okay. and then he's resurrected by lightning in part six. Yeah, yeah. Because in five it's not in at all. But right? it's yeah, and hey, you're not gonna get an argument from me, dude. I Friday thirteenth is like my favorite thing ever, maybe. I mean, it's up there for me. I love part two too. I just think part four is I've watched it several times this year and I just think it's like it's a perfect what it is it's a perfect movie I I love it mm-hmm. I really love it but for me part 1 is the best it's the most painterly cinematography yeah. it has just great mood and atmosphere it and I love geography is really important to me of like where you, you know where everything is and stuff and that is the best because they filmed it at an actual camp that still mm-hmm. exists and you really just know where everything is, you know, and it's yeah. great. It's good stuff. Okay, so here, here's the thing about, and we'll get into Stakeland more in a minute, but, like, while we're on this, <laughs> I, I kept thinking about 
you know, how they keep going back to Crystal Lake and somehow Crystal Lake is preserved as a campgrounds mm. uh, in all these movies. And I'm like, at some point, someone is going to build a, like a neighborhood around Crystal Lake. Crystal Lake is going to be like um, a housing complex type of thing for, for luxury homes around the Crystal That has Lake. been something they've brought up as a script idea many times, the condo really? development and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. So, so now you have um, Jason existing as kind of a monster of the old territory that this used to be and, and now invading the, the, the new lake gentrified yeah area um, well camp crystal lake is only in one and six though and then part it, part two is a different camp that's on okay. the lake the lake is huge and i worked at a camp on a big lake and that is true where it's like there's another camp a mile up the lake yeah and then houses and every little nook and cranny and stuff and so mm -hmm. all the other ones take place in like houses and stuff mm -hmm. lake houses and that's believable to me yeah i don't know so no but you're you're I mean, right there's people that live at the lake year round and they should really get into that i think and like another movie like mm -hmm. get into the year rounders and if they do a winter one like everyone's been begging that would them be to, so cool they will get into people that live there year round and shit man if you if you get that uh, like in a chase sequence on the ice and the ice starts to crack. Yeah. Uh, oh, absolutely. Of course, Crystal Lake is going to be frozen over. Absolutely, man. That's how you get. You got to drown Jason. Woo, yeah. The and then he'll okay. burst through. Good stuff. Yeah. I mean, I love Friday the 13th. I just think 4 is objectively the best one as a slasher me, movie. It, it is very much, it feels like by the numbers. So if you're looking at, say, like, what is Jason boiled down? What is a Jason movie boiled down to? It's like most basic elements. And it is that movie because you have mm -hmm. the, the weird mystical thing about, like, Jason's childhood slash mother. You have that when Corey Feldman, like, shaves his head to look like Jason. This is goofy as hell. I mean, oh, yeah, I'm so not going to deny. It's it's <laughs> ridiculous. It doesn't make any sense. Nope. Um, and then you have, It's you know, meant to be the final film, though. If you yeah. look at it that way, it's like there's all these, like, bookend moments, you know? But Yeah, yeah. I guess so. But anyway, uh, that's a mini-review of Friday the 13th Part 5, which we should go back to at some point. Yeah, at four. Four, I would love, yeah, I would love to do five is my dark horse favorite. Like one That's is the weirdest one. one is my favorite, and then four and five are my. I love them all though. Mm -hmm. Results vary with like X. I don't like X. X is the only one I don't like. Really, I have I have big issues with like the remake. And I haven't even seen those ones. Like, uh, I don't. I didn't care enough to to kind of go down that rabbit hole. Yeah, it's, it's like there's enough like good for the 13th that I want, like I would rather pop on. And as I get older, I just kind of become more nostalgic for them. Oh yeah. And you know, cause I mean, I realized those were, those first ones were done in the early eighties, like probably what 1980s when the first one came out. The first one came, yeah, it was filmed in 79 and came out in 80. So, yeah. And so, like yeah, I was born. And then it's one a year basically yeah. until 89 with Manhattan, which is kind of when I logged on and realized that Jason, what Jason was and yeah, became fascinated with it for the rest of my goddamn life, you know, but that's the first new one I remember coming out and I was like in elementary school and I was like, there's a new Jason movie. Yeah. 
And also, like, they had all the new Freddy movies coming out, like Dream Warriors was coming out, I think. Oh, uh, yeah. And Freddy's so, Dead is the first one I remember being like, oh, Freddy, cool, you know? like Yeah. It's like, that one was, that one was, yeah, I think it's like it didn't come out. Yeah. Um, Freddy's Dead is part six. Yeah, so that one had come out. I had already seen two or three come out mm-hmm. and remembered them coming mm-hmm. out, but I never got to see any of them. I wasn't allowed to run them either, so. Oh, yeah. Um, but but thanks, Will, for uh, bringing that up. It was important yeah. to me to talk about Jason a little bit, or I wanted so, to since you watched the movie, and you also yeah. said you didn't like it. I was like, what? I got to at least get on yeah. here and yeah. say say that it was good. <laughs> You're wrong. So, so let's, <laughs> let's, let's, let's get back in the stake line a little bit. Yeah, why'd you um, bring it up in order to get back? You said you were going you were gonna to tie it back into stake land. Um, just being a... A by the numbers. Okay, so Friday the Thirteenth Part uh, Four being kind of a by by the numbers slasher um, movie. Stakeland at varying points along this movie, it had the opportunity to just take the easy way out and become a zombie movie, become like a fast zombie movie, become just uh, another vampire movie, become just another post-apocalyptic movie. Twenty-eight days. And every. Yeah, at every yeah. stage they are bringing in the new characters. They're bringing in morality of the, of the characters. Um, what their ultimate goal is remains vague and saying like, oh, that place you're going to, it might not even exist anymore. So it's it becomes very existential. But you also have this, and that you don't get this with a lot of zombie movies. A lot of times there'll be travelers and they get to a place where there's some some resemblance of a society, right? Yeah. And it's mostly like, we don't want any, we don't need anybody anybody else here. And they're like, <laughs> they think they're good. But in this, it really is like, no, we've got kind of the lockdowns covered. Like when we drop into one of these towns, it's like they're they're operating pretty well for, for what is happening. Yeah. And they're they're keeping everything kind of like good and secure for everyone. Yeah. And they're welcoming other people in very, very carefully. And so you do have them engaging with normal society. Like they go to a bar or they go to like. Yeah. Larry Fessenden is the bartender. Yeah. The producer of the uh, movie and a director in his own right. So it, it, it does take a very different look at um, all these, t- all these tropes that we've seen over and over again and just kind of twist them a little bit and it makes the characters enjoyable enough to like, Really keep this whole thing moving. Yeah. It subverts um, your expectations, but also fulfills promises it makes and stuff like that with, yeah. like, badass, just, like, when stuff just, like, happens, you're like, yes, like, what you yeah. want. And to, so it, yeah. And because it's so episodic, you get these climaxes over and over and over again. And you see characters come in and you see characters leave. And that was kind of surprising to me as well because mm-hmm. you think, you know, well, they're going to introduce a new character. You're going to stick with that character for the rest of the movie. Yeah. And their their group kind of grows and grows. But that, that's not how it works necessarily because there's always seems to be something that forces a character out. Either they're killed or they just stay with another group or they're lost or whatever. And so the dynamic of them, and it's really just more like the two people, the two main stars, is really all you get in this movie. It's really the only people you can count on. And even by the end, you don't even know that that many people. Mm-hmm. So 
um, it really does. It it you know you 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 expect a lot coming into this, and it really does takes a a hard left turn in a very fun and a very good way. Yeah. Um, so this is going to be one that I think I'm going to be recommending to a lot of people going forward. Hell yeah. Because it, it really did surprise me. Um, it's a movie that I bet it seems like, uh, with Nick Dimitri being one of the writers too, with Jim Mickle, it's like they're writing something badass for him to be in, you know, mm-hmm. kind of, it reminds me of uh, the ultimate movie because that can go good or bad. I'm, it's always fascinating. I love when people do that, but Sling Blade to me mm-hmm. is the movie I always think of. That it's just like somebody did that and it, it like knocked it out of the park mm-hmm. and launched like a massive career. He's like a superstar A list actor, you know? Yeah. And he deserves it because Sling Blade is like fucking top to bottom. Like it's hard to believe that he wrote produced directed and starred in that movie and he's playing such a character like he's his real self is so buried in in that and uh the role in sling blade so this to me like it reminded me of that a little bit it's not quite that impressive but it's really i mean he's great i love him i wish he was in more stuff you should watch Late Phases is another movie that he's a star of. And he just like, he just is, he's a great kind of grizzled badass guy. I don't know. You know, watching this movie and then thinking back about another movie we, we reviewed called Nemesis. Yeah. Which, uh, to me, the star of that movie has very much the same kind of look um, somewhat to this to this guy. And also, I think the budgets of both of these movies are very similar. Yeah. But Olivia Gruner is not a good actor, and Nick Dimitri is a good actor. Yes. And so it just goes to show what you can do with very little. You can either make a really bad movie that shows the limits of your budget. Yeah. Or you can use, like, be smart about the limits of your budget and pack as much as you can into that story. And... I think, it, man, this really worked out fantastically. Um, uh, so, yeah, I really, really, really enjoyed it. One scene that really was incredible, that, that, again, many things happen in this movie, so they keep traveling to place to place. Yeah. And most of the time when they go to one place, they're eventually going to leave with that place and leave most of the characters behind. So they get to a crossing point where there's a makeshift town kind of there, and they're having kind of a night to themselves, and there's kind of like a festival going on, and people are dancing uh, and everything, and everyone's having a good good time. And then comes in this organization called the Brotherhood, I believe, Mm -hmm. uh, who are a band of weirdo right-wingers. Christian. uh, Christian. Extremist, uh, like apocalypse cult kind of. Yeah, and so they're, they're kind of like the baddies that they've run into before and are kind of this constant threat. Um, and so during this kind of festival, the Brotherhood flies helicopters over the festival and just starts dropping vampires into the mix. Yeah. Um, past the checkpoint. And it's terrifying. It's like everyone's having a good time and then suddenly chaos is happening. Um, There's a lot. It's, it's zero to 60. Like, fuck. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, it. you know, I've seen 
chaos scenes. You know, you've seen, you know, that Superman movie where he's destroying Metropolis or that Spielberg War of the Worlds movie uh, where it's just like huge amounts of destruction and panic of people running around. And to see that done so effectively on a small scale, again, is really cool. Um, I really enjoyed seeing that. Uh, and then there's that whole chase sequence through that cornfield. Yeah. Um, which was done uh, incredibly. So I think, yeah, having just a sense of immediacy and urgency, it's like, I think it reminded me of a, what I think is maybe one, maybe my favorite movie of the century so far, Children of Men. Mm, yes. Like that movie just kind of like tapped into like, like he just, that guy shows up. He doesn't like he made the Harry Potter is like the closest thing to action he's done. And I might be mistaken about that, but I'm pretty sure. No, he made like Utu Mama Tambien and some other movie. <laughs> but uh, there's just this like, in that movie, that movie has just some of the best action that in any movie ever where, like, stuff in just a heartbeat becomes... Changes, yeah. ...insane and dangerous, and you're extremely scared for the characters because you really like the characters, and people can, in this movie, in that movie and this movie, people can die. So I felt like they were kind of tapping into, like, that, like that influenced mm-hmm. this movie, I think, a lot. And Yeah, uh, and it... Yeah. So that that is one thing I, I really appreciate about about um, Children of Men is that yeah you like you thought that was a main character and you know Game of Thrones has since done that has kind of set up that mm-hmm. expectation now but even then it was just still like oh I thought that person yeah Julianne Moore to just call like, back God, like, to the Jurassic World or whatever. yeah you're just like she gets killed and you're like wow yeah how, how are they going to keep what that's, she's part of the movie yeah. And so in the, in the road as well, there's like this whole thing about like, where, like, what do you, where are you going? And what is, what is the expectation that you're going to, that you're going to find something there? And there's a point where they encounter someone on the road and they make this person strip naked, you know, because they were trying to kill him. They're trying to kill the the boy and, and, and his father. And so... They strip. They make him strip naked and make him stand there as they go. And the boy eventually convinces the father, like, we have to go back for that guy. Like, we have, we can't let him, you know. So the boy has this like sense of humanity, and the, and the father's like, no, we can't live like that anymore. Yeah. And so it's it's constantly like this boy trying to live normally, you know, go back to some sort of resemblance of society mm-hmm. and the dad going no but the dad also not really knowing what he's doing he's dying he's not going to tell his son what's going to happen so they end up going back for that guy and that guy's just gone yeah you never see him again and he's just they're never going to see that person again so there's no saving him and there's nobody who's going to come back for them either um and it really is just like such a bleak thing um and so that is reflected in this movie it's just like no matter who you meet no matter, like, the place you might want to go to might be gone. This yeah. lockdown area where everyone seems to, like, everything seems to be working might just go, like, at any time. So it's everything is really fragile and just, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's a character who they introduce in this movie. And, you know, when they introduce them, there is 
something about them that you understand is going to happen by the end of the movie. And whether or not that gets to happen and what are the implications of that happening um, is something that I think, you know, and they pay it off. I think there's a huge payoff at the end of the movie. Are you talking about Daniel Harris? I'm talking about, I'm talking about the girl who's pregnant. That's yeah. Daniel Harris. This is a Daniel Harris double feature, my friend. Next movie (laughs) as well. Also, it's the little girl in the next in Halloween five. So like she, she has that baby or does she? I don't know. She doesn't. And it's just like, it's a thing that we're constantly kind of um, being drawn to. We're being told about, like, oh, there's this baby. There's a whole scene where they're like, the baby's kicking. Mm-hmm. But like, that baby is not, that, that's not happening. You know, you kind of understand that there's going to be a certain point where they can't live like that. They can't be on the move with this pregnant girl. They can't be on the move after she has that baby. I know. And it's just like you're, something's going to happen to that baby, and so yeah, um, I would say that any expectations that are set up by this movie are set up within the movie, within the context of kind of the rules it's going by. Um, so the, by the end of the movie, I was like expecting that, but it was because the movie told me to expect that, mm-hmm. and not because like all the other movies I've seen have told me to expect that, because they they would probably tell me to expect something else. Absolutely. Yeah. No, this movie is hard and unforgiving, but it's like, that's what should have had. What happens is right for the movie, you mm -hmm. know, for sure. And what about Um, Kelly, Kelly McGillis in this movie? As the nun? Yeah. Um, did not recognize her at first. Top Guns, Um, Kelly McGillis. Yeah. She um, rocks. She's yeah, she's very good. I mean, can you believe that she was the love interest for Tom Cruise in Top Gun and just the way that they've converged and lived their lives differently? You know, Kelly yeah. McGillis is way more just like, I don't know how to, like, she's like more of a natural person, I guess, you know? Yeah. She just like has aged and naturally, whereas mm-hmm. Tom Cruise is like a freak vampire who's like 60 or whatever, and he looks like yeah. he did when he was... 35 you know like mm-hmm. so yeah but she's great she's in another movie called the innkeepers that i liked a lot a Thai west movie um but yeah she uh cool. yeah she's great in this movie though i love i mean when she she's introduced being chased by these guys who are like basically trying to rape her and Mister gets out and just brutally murders them both, and shit. Yeah. And that sort of sets a, a chain of events into motion, like where one of those, those they were like, one of them is the son of the leader of the Brotherhood, which mm-hmm. is kind of like like we were talking about. It's like they're like white power monks or something. Although, mm-hmm. eventually Kelly McGillis gets taken hostage as like a sex slave. Mm-hmm. It's a bleak, dark yeah. movie. But it's it's good though. It's it's very good. Yeah. Um, and I was reading a bit about this, and Roger Ebert got to watch this movie before he. Died. Are you serious? He gave it a he gave it three out of four stars. Hell yeah, dude! That yeah, rocks, really, man. He really enjoyed this movie. Um, and I was I was really it was a nice surprise to like to to research this and see that like a lot of critics like this movie. Mm-hmm. Very few didn't, and you know if if at least they would give it like. A three star middle of the road. Yeah. Instead of just a bad movie. So 
I um, honestly think they should have released this theatrically. Like, with the amount yeah. of money it costs and it, the quality it is, it's like, what do you have to lose, you know? You can I, recoup your costs easily, I think. I, I think it would have cost them more. They would also would have had to had a massive advertising budget in 2010. Yeah. And that would have, that would have doubled or tripled the cost of the movie. Fair um, enough. So, so... I just think it's it's better than most movies I've seen in theaters about this kind of the horror post-apocalypse or like father's son bonding kind of movie than any, like, it's just, it's so high quality. It's just, I don't know. Like, I think they should have gone for it. I wish they would go for it sometimes, you know, with movies that are like, I mean, in the past they used to with like, Last Seduction, for instance, was made for TV, but it was so high quality that they were like, fuck it, let's release this in theaters. And this is a movie that definitely deserved... Because that's the thing about when people are like, well, TV is better than movies now. It's like, well, I just disagree because movies, in good movies at least, cinematically, they're getting more coverage and they're getting different kinds of coverage. The way they're Mm -hmm. shooting is different. You know, like... I don't know. TV has a look to it. Even like, that's why Fargo season one didn't really work for me very well because they were trying to mimic the movie, but it's like, it still looks like a TV show. You know, they're not shooting it artistically like they shot the movie, you know, where the movie is this thing that's like an hour and 40 minutes. You're making 12 hours of content here. So you're just, you know, it suffers. It's TV show, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. even if it's good. Whatever. I kind of got out, went yeah. off on a tangent there. But to me, <laughs> no, I, this I is it. shot like a movie, though. This looks like a movie. It's shot artistically and good, you know? Yeah. So I think this is a good point to take a break and come back with our big roundup. Hell yeah. Today, documentary films are experiencing a major renaissance, and for good reason. But why are audiences increasingly choosing fact over fiction? Is it a dearth of realism, like endless comic book sequels and end-of-the-world action movies? Are viewers choosing authentic storytelling over spectacular visuals and far-fetched plots? Or maybe it's because docs f***ing rule. Hi, I'm Paco Romain. And I'm George Chen. And we host SupDoc. We didn't go to film school. We're just two comedians that dork out on docs. And since 2015, we've been recapping amazing documentaries with comedians, actors, and filmmakers like legendary comedians Dana Gould and Todd Glass. Musicians like Yacht and Dan Deacon. And even media stars like Jesse Thorne and Francesca Fiorentini. The AV Club called us enlightening, and Boing Boing said SupDoc is a great idea for a podcast. So find us wherever you get your podcasts or join us at SupDocPodcast.com. And follow us on social media at Subdoc Podcast. Hi, I'm Jacob. And I'm Annie. Have you ever enjoyed a palaver? Is it good to be the dog's dinner? Who is this Bob, and why is he your uncle? For the answers to all these questions, you'll have to listen to our podcast, Boo to a Goose, breaking down British and American expressions and idioms. We use them, define them, and explain their history, all in a short, digestible format. So go ahead and check out Boo to a Goose wherever you get your podcasts. Cheerio! That means goodbye. All right, and we are back, and it is time for the big roundup. Randy, 
on a one to five scale, star scale, what would you give Stakeland? I'm going to give it four out of five stars. I think this is a terrific, good, great movie. Uh, it's it's just I don't know. It's it's if you like that kind of movie, like a movie about people like zombie outbreak causing like an apocalypse and then like living in the aftermath or I mean his large parts of it aren't even about the vamp the vampires which are kind of zombie like yeah uh they're like it's like all the zombie movies where it overall is about the way humans treat each other after we're mm-hmm. like 28 Days Later comes to mind where they meet the soldiers and, you know, that turns really bad. Uh, all the Romero movies and everything, you know, um, the later ones. But I don't know. I think it's just a great, like we were saying, it's just a good movie. Four stars. Uh, I also gave it four stars. Um, I, again, like I've kind of said on this episode, I really enjoyed this. It was very different from anything that I had already seen before or anything that I really expected this movie to be. Um, it, 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 I don't know. It's almost like you could drop anyone into this because it feels a, a lot more like a TV show, like a whole season of, of television over an hour and a half or so. And I would much rather watch this than, I don't know, The Walking Dead. Um, yeah. Which, you know, I, I never got into that show. I read... I read all the issues up to a certain point, and I think now they're beyond that point on the show now. Um, so when that that one dude showed up with the baseball bat, mm-hmm. I was like, "Yeah, I know, I know what happens." I, I read it. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think this this again hour and a half, and you're done. And it they pack so much into this movie. Um, and it is an episodic thing, so it really does feel like a lot is going. A lot happens in a very short amount of time. They don't waste a lot of time with exposition. They they let the characters speak for themselves. When they want you to know something, they tell you explicitly. Uh, they don't make you figure it out. Um, so I think it really works for just about anybody who you sit them down in front of this. They're going to give you some sort of generally positive opinion about this. I would I would say. Um, even if they're not into horror or anything, because the characters are so good. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, four stars. Yeah, it feels um, almost like it's adapted from a novel or something. Yeah. With the, the amount yeah. of stuff that's packed into it. And there's a really good, like, they just, they there's a good economy to it, I guess. They just get it all out. There's no fat on this thing, I guess, yeah. you know, like, at all. And it, it does move at such a good little clip. Yeah, four stars. Um, four out of five. So I I, I wanted uh, I said I wasn't going to talk about this too much, but I want to mention that uh, I'm still at the very end of the Dark Tower series that I'm reading. And I've gone back and watched the movie again and I'm just still pissed off at how <laughs> how awful that was. And seeing a movie like this, it has a lot of elements that are present in the Dark Tower series and showing that they were able to kind of pull it off. Um, correctly mm-hmm. um, in this movie uh, just tells me that it was totally an option for them to make that Dark Tower movie something so much better and they just chose not to. Um, they could have made it something more like this and it would have worked and it would have been 
truer to the original the, to, the, to the novels than than what that movie was. So, uh, just my Dark Tower tie-in. <laughs> I think that they're gonna just straight up do another. You know, it'll like with all the the Batman's and everything they're doing. You know, that will leak over into like. Stephen King just being like, or the ad- adaptations of his work just be like, yeah, let's just, who cares if we did this 10 years ago? Let's just do it again. Like, do it They were going to do a, t- do uh, a TV good show. Um, uh, Amazon had ordered a pilot for the, for the adaptation of book four, mm. which is a great place to start because it's all a flashback. And they, so a pilot was shot and put together and people have seen it. And they said, this is basically what we wanted out of Dark Tower story. Oh, damn. Um, and it's probably not going to happen. So, mm. but hopefully one day we'll get to see the pilot, or they'll someone will pick it up and do it that way. Uh, but yeah, who knows? Well, very good. What are your recommendations then? Uh, recommendations for this, I would say I mentioned it before, but the road uh, is a good kind of bleak look. Um, it, it fits the aesthetic and kind of the nature of the two main characters in this movie. Uh, but it takes a different, very different route. Uh, there are no monsters or anything, so it's not so much of an action movie, which I would think really propelled this movie a lot. Uh, also, Mad Max is fucking uh, Fury Road specifically um, mm. is taking another direction of this same kind of uh, element and really knocking it out of the park. Yeah. Uh, third, third one and the last one is uh, Bob Clark's uh, A Christmas Story. Uh, it is another movie that is episodic and uses the episodic format very well to tell that story huh. um, in the same way that this does. And I think both of those movies, that is an underused format. And I think both of uh, those movies, this one and A Christmas Story, uh, use that format very well. So Good wreck, man. Yeah. Um, what I'm you gonna, got, Randy? I'm going to say Phantasm series, like we were saying. It's great to watch all of them because it's all made by one guy. Uh, he didn't direct the the fifth movie. Actually, is sort of like this, I guess, where it was like a web series, and then they were like, "No, let's make it into a movie." And they took existing stuff and then filmed new stuff. People have issues with five because of like uh, this computer effects and stuff. But I mean, if you can take it for what it is, I think it's a really good. All of all five of the movies together uh, are really like a surprisingly like moving and intelligent uh, series that sort of resembles like a the horror version of like uh, Truffaut's Antoine Duanel series where you follow. Yeah. You know, some like you use the same actors, and thus you're tracking, you know, different somebody yeah. else, like um, at the same time while you make the movie. But, uh, and I think, yeah, I think you're right on about that. I think George Miller would see this movie if he ever saw it. He'd be, he'd be like it. He'd be like, yeah, this is a good version of what I also do, you yeah. know. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, I don't know. Just any, if you like, I think if you like dark dramas that have kind of a supernatural horror, sci-fi, post-apocalypse element, this is just a good, this is a good one. I think that's a yeah. huge, I think that covers most people 
if you like Walking Dead, you'll probably love this movie. Yeah. <laughs> love you say that, at least. If you're, you know if I mean? you're a Walking Dead fan who hates Walking Dead, as a lot of them I've met do, <laughs> this might be something that you will really enjoy. Yeah. And get a kick out of. I think if, yeah, if Walking Dead's even interesting to you at all, check yeah. this movie out. You probably will like it. It's a good movie. Cool. Uh, so I think that just about wraps it up. Uh, Randy, anything going on? Anything you want to mention? Anything? Oh, uh, um, nope. Just nothing. Beware of spooky things out there in the real world like policemen and yeah. uh, fucking. Uh, politicians and things like that. All right. Everyone be safe yep. and have a good time at uh, your house me, watching movies. Uh, check out more episodes of this show, Cathode Remission. Rate and review us wherever you're listening to it. If that's available, tell your friends. Get the word out. Uh, let people know what we're about. Um, if you're into documentaries, <clears throat> boy, excuse me. If you're into documentaries, check out the Sup Doc podcast where uh, my buddies George and Paco review uh, documentaries every two weeks. Um, we got a lot of people on there. We got, you know, comedians, uh, musicians, filmmakers, you know. Um, uh, one that just recently came out that we got a good early scoop on was Feels Good Man. Uh, it's about uh, Pepe the Frog. The meme that you've seen that was co-opted by right wingers. Oh yeah, I need to see that um, still. Matt Fury, the artist, is really interesting. He's from the Bay Area. He was around when I was doing a lot of zine fest shows and comic conventions. And um, great dude, great story about who he is and what happened to his creation and what the future holds. Uh, we got to talk to the producer director of that movie way before like back in March and the movie just came out so uh, that's kind of in our back catalog <coughs> so uh, so there's that and then there's also Nerd Rage The Great Debates uh, later in October end of October 2020 you can hear a special guest Randy Heyer on a couple of episodes yep. being guest judge where I we, will be uh, back to debate in the ring hell yeah we do horror enough that I think you might even be eligible to go home with the belt that was given out to a special someone <coughs> who is not going to be mentioned on this episode because that episode hasn't dropped yet. Yeah, I could so, debate about other stuff too. I'm not just a horror. I know. I'm not like the rain man of horror. There's other stuff. And, uh, okay, so those guys that I work with on that show, they, they love Pokemon and they talk about Pokemon a lot. Oh, all right. Well, I'd get Pokemon. decimated if it's a Pokemon thing. Yeah. But we also have uh, already out is like a, a an episode about RuPaul's Drag Race. Uh, we got yeah, episodes yeah. about breakfast cereal. We got, some about, stuff about that, but no. I don't. You're I right. Don't you're right. You're right. All right. I, I don't eat breakfast either, so I don't know anything about breakfast cereal. Um, so we we cover all sorts of shit. We have a, over 100 episodes of that. Fun debates where we're all friends afterwards, and there's uh, very little bad politics in that show. I'm not going to say there's no politics, but no bad politics. Um, you can trust me on that. Uh, so yeah, check those out wherever you find podcasts. Okay, that that that's it for me. We got one more of these to record, so I'm I'm ready to wrap. Woo! Up. We're doing a marathon run today. A little peek hey, behind the curtain of Cathode Ray Mission. We'll see y'all next week. Will, it's been a pleasure. Mm-hmm.